welcome to the Acolytes of Merlin. Today we'll be discussing Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, the final movie in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Uh, we are your hosts, Johnny and... John, as usual. Uh, Matthew. And new to the podcast is... Adam. Cool. So, so this is the final movie of the prequel trilogy. And there are more positive views on the movie, uh, at least in the fandom, however you want to define that, certainly than episodes one and two. Uh, but what did what did you guys generally think of it? I mean, for me, who I, I think I'm one of the uh, more casual fans of Star Wars in this in this um, uh, tetrad here. Um, I, I always thought of this movie as like I. It, almost by default, it was um, gonna be the best, um, most likely, because it it's what justifies the existence of the prequel trilogy more so than any of the others. Um, just the fact that it it is what um, transitions um, the the whole story into the original trilogy um, and brings everything, uh, at least as far as uh, everyone's experience goes full circle uh means that it 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 justifies uh everything that has uh come before and is just naturally going to be the one that um original trilogy fans are going to gravitate towards so i guess generally so this movie of the prequel trilogy is definitely the one i have the strongest nostalgia goggles for um it is it's definitely the first star wars movie i remember seeing in theaters which um, was a whole controversy in my household because it, the movie came out in 2005 and I was uh, 10 at the time. And it got the dreaded PG-13 rating. And I was the oldest in my family, so my parents weren't, uh, they weren't sure if I was ready for a PG-13 movie. Uh, so they made me read the novelization of Revenge of the Sith before Wait, I was allowed which, to go see it. Which one? Because I... I, I've read the, I think the YA version, but apparently the Matthew Stover one, like the adult one, is excellent. I have to assume it was the young adult one. Um, I mean, I think I was in like third grade at the time, third or fourth grade. Um, yeah, okay. I do remember getting the book uh, confiscated by my teachers multiple times because I was so desperate to go see it. Uh, That's funny. And so I was, I was burning through it in class and trying to get through it. Uh, but then remember, just remember the first, the opening scene when Anakin and Obi-Wan fly by and they had the bass cranked up to 12 on, in the theater. Uh, my seat's rumbling. I'm just going nuts as a kid. Um, but then generally, like, as far as when we talk about the prequel trilogy, how, you know, something that's come up multiple times on this podcast is we say that it's more than the sum of its parts. And I think Revenge of the Sith is the movie that makes it so. Um, it's the movie that and I would say of all Star Wars movies, it is the movie I think that makes the what came before it the sh- stronger uh, more than anything else. It doesn't act as a liability to the other two movies. It redeems a lot of the flaws in those movies, and more so than uh, other finishing um, pieces of the tr- trilogy pieces. It does resolve this trilogy in a way, um, you know, in a way that sets up for the uh, original trilogy. And I think it handles, 
Yeah, I mean, naturally, when you come back 20 years later to make a prequel, you are generally boxed in story-wise, and I think it handles some of the um, more challenging aspects of that well. Um, and it also, it does kind of, I think, capitalize on the promise of George Lucas's vision for Attack of the Clones, wherein Attack of the Clones, he really wanted to go in all, all in on the CGI, on the special effects, and the tech just didn't really seem to match his vision. It wasn't up to the point where you could make entire armies and CGI and they really would look spectacular here in this movie. Um, the special effects are there. The CGI is there. It meets the moment um, in a way that does still hold up, you know, even rewatching it today. I, yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Adam. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you just mentioned that, like, in that, um, you just mentioned that opening sequence. I think when I when I first uh, saw the movie, I think that was the thing that I remember most from that first viewing was that opening sequence um, and just really having never seen anything quite like that. And uh, I can remember, like, the feeling of, of seeing that for the first time, like, still today. When I go back and watch it, I like kind of get that same feeling of, of watching that and just thinking, wow, this is really cool. I also feel like, I don't know, this might not be grounded in anything real or any kind of actual theory. But for me, like the, uh, this movie compared to the other prequels, it almost feels like, and you probably you wouldn't really look at these movies in isolation, I suppose. But if you were, it feels like this movie is almost the most complete out of all of them, like you could watch this start to finish without much context for anything else that was going on and still like kind of really enjoy the movie. Whereas I sometimes feel like the other uh, two prequels, um, it really helps to have, you know, be a little bit more invested in star Wars generally, or really feel attached to them. But this one can almost, even though it's not, it could almost be in my opinion enjoyed a little bit more as like a standalone film. It really does say something that uh, that you don't. We don't say that about the first movie in the trilogy. <laughs> we say it about the last movie. You you would think that the first one would stand on its own more. I think you could say it about the first two movies in the trilogy. Really, yeah, um, yes. <laughs> but both of them end with a big "Here's what's coming next" type of setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a definitely good point. I unabashedly love this movie. Uh, uh, it is my favorite of the prequels, and it is in my top, well, the movie ain't so, but it's very high up there of, as far as the Star Wars movies goes. Um, I, like all of the others, I have seen more of this movie's more of the faults in some of the structuring things as I've gotten older, but I just don't really care because I the awesome parts and the things that I like about it are so cool. Like this was deep awesomeness like twelve twelve year old Johnny. <laughs> uh and <laughs> and I still feel that way when I'm watching the movie. Uh I think particularly what Matthew, I think particularly what Matthew said Johnny is well that it fills the promise that and justifies the existence of the prequel trilogy. And, and you need and but because Without this piece, the trilogy should feel a little more justified. Uh, and that some of these things should feel more seated in episodes one and two more directly. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that it does fulfill a lot of the 
promises and you get that moment at the end. And uh, oh, by the way, spoilers for pretty much all the Star Wars movies, but mostly episode three and mostly just the prequels, um, with maybe a little bit of episode four. Uh, yeah. What about uh, Clone Wars, whatever the final season? Was it eight or oh, seven? That's a good question. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say let's hold on. Let's not do Clone Wars just because I think that will, will cut that. I, I think if we do that, we'll do it separately. I think it would be better to just contain the episode of the movie for now. Let's say yeah. that Clone Wars necessarily come with um, Revenge of the Sith spoilers. That's more the direction yeah. it goes in. Yeah, the only thing I think that would come up would be the latest, the last season of Clone Wars does help with the timeline of Revenge of the Sith a little bit more. Um, yes. I agree. I think it's, yeah, I, I, I still would probably, at least for the sake of the episode, contain it. The spoilers. If there's some, I mean, I, I guess we could do it if there's a really particular I think point. it's it's just the timeline with that using those episodes to get the timeline down. Cause I, I, this is just something I picked up on is, I mean, to kind of start kicking this off into the movie, you kind of feel like Padme's pregnancy runs really, really fast. Um, and, or maybe you think that the movie takes place over a very long period of time, but it really, it's Clone Wars kind of shows it's about a week in universe time, the course of the movie. That's a good roughly. Point. Um just as a as a movie making thing, they definitely go her like progressing through the pregnancy um more as the movie goes on, but it kind of seems like, oh, she was she was just about there when we meet her at the beginning. Yeah, I think that that gets into like, like structuring things with the prequels where you have you have significant time jumps and changes of the status quo between each of the movies, and so that gives you inherently less time to develop things like Padme's pregnancy or Anakin, the, the one for this whole trilogy being Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship that doesn't get as developed and nuanced over time as it should. Mm-hmm. You have those, there's a new status quo at the beginning of, like a big new status quo at the beginning of every movie. Um, I mean, a little less so between episodes two and three, but still, in, still a factor. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, just to tie back to my initial point, that it's last thing is it does like you, you do get the direct tie. Like everyone needs to end up in their 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 starting places, so to speak, uh, for <laughs> for episode four. But that gives it a really nice, like to quote uh, to quote Vader later on, the circle is now complete and and you feel yeah you feel such a fulfillment and completion once everything is resolved yeah but it's it's not too um uh that's not too jarring just because it's not you know it you're not gonna lead into a new hope in two seconds from the end of the movie like there's so much time between um three and four that you know, if you think about it, yes, they are, you know, set on the path to um, be in their places for four, but it's not like they're there in the moment. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was jarring at all. It was just, yeah, that just no, it, just kind of a noticeable thing. And yeah, there's obviously enough time in between 
that waiting for for lots of new media stuff to take place. But <laughs> uh. well, I was going to mention that, but then I didn't. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't specify that. Uh, yeah, so I think we can just go right into we can just start with the opening. I think it's awesome. I think it's, it, it, I mean, musically, visually, like it's has like such a cool establishing shot with Anakin, Anakin up like um, fighters and the way that the zooming in on them and then the way the battle opens up is so cool. Uh, and it, in general, it's the best instance in live action that we get of Anakin and Obi-Wan working together and feeling like they're a team. And I think that's like the strongest part of the of this entire opening, which, which has a lot of good parts. Yeah, and there's also good characterization in that opening. Like, again, if you didn't, if you hadn't seen like the previous two movies, you would get like a nice little bit of characterization even in how they're interacting when they're working together, like trying to, you know, uh, in that like first few minutes, which is like really cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's a, they did like surprisingly the writing is good with those interactions. Establishing establishing them as brothers, um, even without the first two movies. Yeah, as he as he said. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, I think it's the strongest opening shot in Star Wars. Um, just the opening scene. I think also seeing. Kind of seeing where Anakin is at mentally, he is still very motivated, as he, in his own mind, is throughout the movie of doing the what he feels is right, even if it's not correct. Um, when you see when he wants to go help the clones because they're getting torn up, but Obi Wan, that's you know kind of the morally right thing to do: go save your comrades at arms. But the correct thing to do is stay on the mission to rescue the the Chancellor, and so you'd still see you introduce that conflict in, within him morally right but versus what's correct and expected of him um and but also his willingness to listen to obi-wan shows a growth in the uh in his character from episode two because episode two anakin he's going to help the clones uh regardless of what obi-wan says oh yeah yeah and then they're not going to reach the ship and or something happens and like obi yeah like cause that's part of Episode two is instances where Anakin like doesn't listen. I should say just doesn't listen to him, but where he does his own thing without trying to work with Obi Wan. Don't those instances don't don't go well in episode two? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you get the sense that um, yeah, since he's doing this in episode three versus uh, episode two, that um, even though he still feels compelled to help the clones, he is making a sort of investment. Um, as a Jedi, as someone who um, is on the road to becoming a master, uh, I mean that's what he he perceives it as 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 heading towards, um, and so he's uh you know kind of committing to that course of action, um, and then that makes it all the more understandable when he finds that investment kind of at least um, in the short term is coming to naught. Later in the movie, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it does highlight his, you know, he is not patient. You know, that's definitely not a virtue he has picked up between movies. Um, but he's, you know, like, ultimately, it does show where he is. And I think that's very good to pick up 
um, within the opening scene. Yeah, and, yeah, and just even just for his character, like even the one, and also the stuff a little bit later on with Dooku and Palpatine is also really good. But you see, you see him start to move a little bit, uh, and the the infamous the infamous well, famous infamous line of the the final command to kill Palpatine or Palpatine to kill Dooku. He, he just listens, even though Palpatine's line in the do it is a very uh, a, a bit commanding coming from someone who presents uh, himself as guiding and and, uh, and benevolent. Uh, and it's interesting that Anakin uh, listens to that. Since Palpatine's uh, cracks are kind of starting to show, or I guess Sidious's uh, cracks are starting to show, um, Ian McDiarmid is is in top form here. It must be said he's uh, the top <laughs> top campy form, but it it works dramatically somehow. It does, and that that's that's always uh, been that's always baffled me in a good way. Yeah, it, yeah, it, he's he's phenomenal. Another note in that scene: you have another great actor, Christopher Lee, who is great in this scene, but. It's once again wasted because he's on screen for like five minutes and then he dies. <laughs> so you see him for like ten minutes in episode two and you get like five minutes of him in this movie. Uh, and he's great, but again, what what could have been had he had more stuff to do on screen? Gotta, gotta bite my tongue about animated stuff again. Yes, um, I know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but it is very good and it is, you know, you can see it in, you know, Palpatine, the way he he looks like an excited spectator to Anakin holding his own against Dooku, um, because ultimately this is a fight for his, for the apprenticeship. And, uh, you know, Anakin doesn't know it at the time, but this is his audition. Um, you know, if he can defeat Dooku, this is you know, the sign, okay, now is the moment. This is when I can set forth my master plan because Anakin is strong enough. Anakin is ready to take on this mantle. Um, and then you you see it very quickly, how he starts to plant those seeds, you know, these ideas. You should be on the council. You should be a master. They should pick you to go after Grievous. Oh, what? They didn't? I'm so shocked. That's terrible. Um, and starting to feed this resentment and this anger in Anakin. And that mirrors a uh, future third movie in a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, it's yeah. To, yeah, I see. Uh, you, you, you. I'm, I'm a bit late on this joke, but you could say that to quote the Joker, they had tryouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, you get like Palpatine goes into well, like leave. He basically is like leave what we want. He's and die news, which, oh, okay. <laughs> that ledge that falls, <laughs> I don't care, but that totally, like, Obi-Wan shouldn't be able to walk <laughs> after that. <laughs> it just, again, it's kind of a funny, like, something that always has, like, like felt like just a little bit kind of weird when I watched it, but not that it really matters. So him falling comfortably into the moving pod at the at the at the beginning of the movie, or was that or was that Attack of the Clones? Maybe I'm misremembering. Oh uh, no, that's Attack of the Clones in the theaters. No, when, okay, my bad. Yeah, but, but no, but yeah, well, it's a similar. 
I, I, have a, I have a question, kind of a theoretical question of sorts. That I, that Matthew, you mentioned that Palpatine seeing that Anakin was ready to become his apprentice kicked off like his, basically kicked off Palpatine, the, kicked off the master plan, the final part of it, I should say. I, I, I never thought, like, I still think that to a degree, Palpatine didn't need Anakin to finish his plan, to, to like complete the plan. I think he could, I think he could have done it with Dooku, I think he wanted Anakin, but, uh, but basically, do you guys, like, what do you guys think of the idea of, of whether or not Anakin is essential for, for like, the create, helping to create the Empire? Palpatine doesn't strike me as someone who, um, would, um, leave that much to the decisions of one person, regardless of, um, how much he invested into his turn. Yeah, I, I like the way that's put because we do see, I mean, again, the you know, Clone Wars explored this a lot. Um, particularly, Dennis Wars, there is another showdown between Dooku and Anakin, and Anakin essentially loses. Um, but again, it was in the presence of Palpatine. And I forget, somebody dropped, I think it was Palpatine dropped a line of some sort that it, or maybe it was Dave Filoni behind the scenes saying that the scene was, the fight was essentially a first audition for Anakin. And that essentially Palpatine was going to keep sending Dooku and Anakin after each other until one of them died. Um, That's really cool. And I, Again, wish that that was more, that was more directly explored because that that's really cool. Um, yeah, I don't. I feel, that might have been a behind the scenes thing, but you definitely, if you get that, it's in the arc. It's early in the Clone Wars with where Obi Wan goes undercover as like a bounty hunter um, or something. That's not uh, early, but yes. <laughs> and so I think it's go, go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Until you- died almost implying that like it, it doesn't really matter which one of them lives it'll be better for him, like him either way kind of thing yes. or yeah 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 like or like a gladiator match he only wants the yeah. strongest yeah. um so prove you're the strongest by killing the other strongest that's really interesting yeah, yeah rule of two yeah uh fulfilling the rule of two doesn't have to involve the the, the eldest of the bunch yeah, and I mean, and, and he says it directly in this movie, you know, that the uh, his new apprentice was going to be younger and more powerful. Um, and I think ultimately, especially, I mean, without getting into what we've learned more about Dooku, but I do think Palpatine he needed more of an attack dog. Um, you know, Anakin at this point in his life was not going to be a mastermind. You know, galaxy you know, scheming and plotting to take down Palpatine. He needed somebody with just the raw power and Anakin is the perfect, you know, the perfect person to fill that role for him. That's a good point. And Dooku, at least for the time that he was the apprentice, like that was what Palpatine needed in a statesman to present an opposition that didn't feel, like he needed a statesman to present an a 
reasonably sounding up enough opposition, at least for enough systems to get behind, like planets to get behind him. Uh, whereas, yeah, that's not going to be Anakin at this stage. And by the time you get to the Empire, Palpatine doesn't want or need that statesman to be a politician, uh, or the, the yeah, statesman or politician to manipulate or push his agenda at this at that point. So we should talk about the romance, which is still just as I still think it's just as bad as something. Like it, it's this is the one part of the movie that just sticks out to me at like a blaring like alarm of this is still really bad writing. Yeah. I wonder like how much though with I don't know, it's with with so much of this movie and when you think about, like, it's really, like, there are some really bad writing moments, for sure, and, and specifically in that, like, romance. But, like, I don't know. For me, it just doesn't really change, like, how I feel about the overall movie. Um, and I, like, wonder how much it really, like, how much it really matters. I think because it's, like, such a mythical, like, Star Wars is such, like, if you think about, one of the reasons I don't think that like the the writing here like really matters that much is if you think about like some like, you know epic myths like all of the epic myths when you like or a lot of them like um or you know something like Lord of the Rings which the writing is very like long winded or if you go back and you read some of like the the, the like, really old myths like it's just it's not as much about like the individual scenes of writing is how this whole story fits together. And I think that this is just one of those moments where it's, it's a little bit cringeworthy, but as far as like those cringeworthy moments, at least for me, don't impact the overall like myth of the story, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. The Lord of the Rings is strangely grounded for how sweeping it is, but, uh, a lot of mythic stories aren't <laughs> like I hear what you're saying in terms of um, it just kind of being unapologetically um, high and, and, and uh, you know, uh, unrealistic, I guess, <laughs> in the way that it's presented. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can see how that would not um, interfere with uh, your, your, your taking in of this, of this story of mythic proportions that's a good point i think even any awkward writing and any awkward writing i think is still it's kind of muscled through by just the chemistry of hayden christensen and natalie portman um and ultimately it does get to the either the romantic interaction scenes aren't really the focal point it's anakin having to deal with his fear of an impending loss. And I think some of the more powerful scenes there are him when he's talking to Yoda about it and Yoda's telling him, you know, telling him you have to be prepared to let go and just him not willing to accept that teaching or, you know, him, you know, in that first interaction where Palpatine finally, you know, just spells it all out for him and, you know, where he says, I'd like to kill you, but you can tell he's already thinking, is what he's offering me true? Could he actually save my wife from dying? 
Um, that, that is another really good scene. I don't think that Emily Gordon Hayden and Christensen have great chemistry, but kind of to Adam's point, a lot of it doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't really care that the romance is that bad because a lot of the other parts are really strong. Like you said, it's more the bigger picture themes and events, particularly with this movie, that carry it. Yeah, and I think maybe it's like the romance is like a tool of the movie, but it's not necessarily what, I don't know, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but um, the romance is like a tool of the the movie, but it's not what the movie is necessarily about in totality. So like, I don't know. No, that, yeah, that's exactly, like, that's kind of like, to, exactly to Matthew's point, like the, the romance is there's a tool for Anakin to deal with impending loss and and like I'm not going to let what happened to my mother happen again and like that that whole storyline with for his character I can I mean I can see how maybe some people would need a, a genuine chemistry to kind of buy into the romance to think of it as uh, you know worthy of the stakes that they're trying to sell as far as Anakin's fear and everything else um personally i'm just you know they've just kind of you know given the information to me that this is something that he cares about they've established that they are together and hayden christensen manages to sell the rest yeah i the moment itself is much more of an issue for me in episode two because it's a much more of a focal point because i yeah i agree i don't think that I buy the romance enough for what for the stakes that it's supposed to present, but it's not as much of a focal point in this movie, so that's, uh, that's fine. Sticking on Palpatine and Anakin, I do want to make sure that we at least cover one particular scene, and switching from a poorly written, some of the more poorly written scenes, I think this is Probably dramatical. This is dramatical. Probably the best scene in the movie. Definitely, probably the whole prequel trilogy. But the opera scene with Anakin and Palpatine. I I just think it's uh, from when Anakin enters to the beginning of. Have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? I yeah, it's and that it's the seduction scene basically. Like that, that this is where Palpatine put that hook in. Like the final hook into Anakin, effectively. Uh, I want to acknowledge that there is something there with um, Phantom Menace and Phantom of the Opera, but I can't, I can't construct anything <laughs> right now. But yeah, yeah. That, I agree. It's it's extremely, um, it, it's it's well put together. Um, Mc, Ian McDermott shows that he can do kind of just like. Um, low-key uh, menacing and uh, manipulation as well as um, as well as over the top and there's there's always something about like myth within myth that is is really compelling so he's kind of telling this story about um about, about the tragedy and um it's appropriate that it's in the it's same place as an opera where they're telling um 
uh, stories within this universe. And then he's going ahead and doing the same thing. And maybe if something else in the movie took you out of the whole fiction, then this kind of lures you back in with ironically a fiction within what you're watching. It is very, yeah, it's, it's a fiction. It's an, it's like this alien, uh, very, it's a very unique scene, like visually, thematically. Like, I'm trying, racking my brain. There's really nothing else that looks like this opera, at least at this point. And it does seem like Anakin is stepping into something that's completely out of his element, out of his world. Um, and then he's kind of presented with this very alluring thing, you know, like this is what your life could be almost all the time. Step into this new world. Um, and, you know, it is a very interesting scene, especially, you know, kind of compared to, you know, Anakin at the, you know, at the temple, very, you know, Jedi dogmatic you know, traditional, no possessions, no attachments, but here you see kind of the wealth and the power of the galaxy all laid out before him. And Imitator just solves it so well. He's so good in the scene. Yeah, like, and the, the how he, like, his facial expressions and how his, like, his voice and intonation is, as he's describing the fate of Darth Plagueis uh, is just perfect. Perfect. He's like, I like you, you maybe you'll catch on that, like, this, that I don't think this is much of a tragedy as I'm telling it. And, you know, maybe I was the one who caused it. Like, is the, and Anakin would have not be able to get that at this point. But it's how Ian McDermott tells, at least I can almost just see that happening in Palpatine's mind, which is excellent. It's kind of how he's calculating, um, you know, how how can I present this in a way that, um, you know, he won't he won't catch on that, you know, I'm I'm kind of putting it out there as an enticing thing as opposed to, you know, since it's a tragedy, something that at least ostensibly um, is something to be, you know, is is, is a tragedy, something to be uh, pitied and avoided. As opposed to what its what its purpose really is for for his for his uh well purposes, right? And also, I'm sure probably as a character loves the idea of of, of spinning. Uh, hey, how do I spin? I killed master into uh don't do what he did because something awful might happen. Uh, to a moral a moral story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the moral was, I want power, and so I killed him. <laughs> Could anyone, anyone have anything we haven't quite got to yet? I think I think, I think we should touch on one and this. Uh, what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? <laughs> yeah, all right, we, 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 we should touch on the droid attack on the Wookiees. It's just something we can't afford to lose. Because... Uh. George Lucas making up for the fact that he wanted Wookiees in Return, Return, Return of the Jedi and could it was too expensive. He's like, I have the money now. We're doing it. Yeah. So instead, he had Ewoks, which are not only tiny Wookiees, sort of, but also Wookiee back 
Sorry, also Wookie what? Well, like Wookie and then E Wook E Walk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like semantically related. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, at least. That's funny. I, I've never noticed that, but I absolutely believe George, George Lucas did that. Um, very intentionally. Right. It's like, it's a poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on Kashyyyk? Uh, as far as ways that you need Yoda separated from... Just kind of story-wise, like you need a cert- certain pieces, you know, characters need to be away from Coruscant uh, at the moment Anakin turns. Um, so for, you know, as far as ways to get Yoda away from Coruscant, I mean, it's about as... Is it fan service? Yeah. Is it great? Yeah. You know, might as well. Um, if you just need a little plot device for that. That's a good point. I never thought of it. Actually, yeah, I was getting Yoda away from Coruscant. But that's what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, and this watch it felt a little bit filler, but it is very cool and like visually, like I always, I always wished that the battle sequence would last a little bit longer. Uh, just visually, it just looks really cool. But but on this watch, I was like, that's oh, fine. Like it's, it's plot wise, it's there, and and you get the Wookiees are cool, and you get Yoda's stuff. So if if Yoda was on Coruscant, do you think he would have been able to stop Anakin then? I, I think, uh, good. Hmm. well, Mace plus Yoda versus Sidious, it, that might, that fight might have been over before, uh, Anakin even gets there. Um, you right. would have to, you would have to think so. Um, so, so maybe we could reframe question. I, I like that line of thought. So maybe we could reframe that question as if Yoda was on Coruscant when Order 66 happens, could he have your, your could he have done something to, to, I mean, I think he would have survived. I don't know. I, I think but that it's high, the, I mean, I think you're you're onto it there. Does he does he even survive, or is he taken out in that first wave? Which you know we can't have for story reasons. Um, and I think it is a tough thing to sell if he is there at the beginning and he isn't able to kind of alter the course of how things went. Um, well, well, he sensed there in, intentions behind him where he was. So, I mean, I, I yeah. at least would think that he would have done the same thing on Coruscant, like regardless of where he was. Good point. Yeah. So I, so I kind of, so I, I would agree that he would, he would have definitely survived. I think, I think once Order sixty six is enacted, that everything is basically once it's once Palpatine activated, there's no stop. Like no one would have been able to. It was too late. But like, can I add him to your question? If he in Matthew's comment, like if he if he was there when they went to arrest Palpatine, then yeah, I think that they Mason would be Palpatine, and the story's over. <laughs> and I think also Anakin definitely respects Yoda more. Like him, Anakin and Mace, there is a certain antagonism between the two of them. You know, Mace does clearly does not and says as much. Does not trust Anakin. And, you know, tells him as he's going off, you'll have gained my trust if what you told me is true. Um, but so I think it was easier to, if the choice is between Mace and Sidious, that's an easier choice to pick Sidious for Anakin. But if it's between Yoda and Sidious, you know, he, you know, he has more respect for Yoda and Yoda 
I assume appreciated Anakin more. Um, and Anakin would have been thinking that at the time. Mace's decades of playing bad cop catch up with him. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions you get for around who around a lot of what ifs, like kind of around that time period. Like the the biggest what if is what if Anakin doesn't interfere with Mason Palpatine's fight. That's the one that I like would. You know, it's it's so it's it's always so uh, hard to. I mean, I I consider that even that that intervention to be even harder to watch than than Order sixty six. If if for no other reason than without that, you don't have Order sixty six. Well, I I would I would probably I would tend at least to there's agree. a chance. Yeah, I would tend to agree, but I think. The question for that depends on do you think Palpatine's team was faking it for Anakin or do you think Mace beat him? That's a I, good I'm, point. I'm client. I'm going to go ahead. Whoever wants to. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, because I did read the young adult novelization, I believe in there it's confirmed Palpatine was faking it. Um, but I think he was, I think he was ready to get struck down, kind of like he was in Reve- or Return of the Jedi. Um, he would have let Luke strike him down. Oh, yeah. um, I think yeah. I think in a very similar mindset that he he was prepared to get struck down by Mace, like kind of like the final, uh, you know, point of everything. This is the you know, the focal point of his plan. Does Anakin intervene? Um, but also just something I thought of to go back to that Yoda point. Uh, there's no way Mace is executing Palpatine in front of Yoda. No, um, that is a very different situation. Does, does I I have to wonder? Does does Mace like? Does he just by having Mace kill him? Does that corrupt Mace even? Like, would that be worth I it? Even I think the question for the answer. I think that depends on whether or not. Palpatine is faking or not? Because if he's faking, and say Anakin doesn't intervene, in the yeah, assuming he is, right? Yeah, if he is, then I, then, then Mace kills him, and they're still fighting. Then he killed him in the fight. But if he's not faking, then it's a, then it's what Anakin did to do, when he's just executing him. Yeah, but I think it also is somewhat of a metaphor for the Jedi Order. In general, they've lost their way throughout this war. Um, That's true. And there's a lot of really good stuff about that in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is part of the issue, you know, because you know Padme does kind of touch on it, where she's talking about you know has the Republic lost its way during the war? Well, yeah, kind of. That was by the design of Palpatine, um, and then you definitely get some feelings that have the Jedi by association also lost their way to the point where, you know, the second highest ranking member of the Jedi council is ready to commit murder in cold blood essentially. And I think that probably helps justify this move to Anakin, um, who is already distrustful of the Jedi. Yeah. That that stuff is all super well done. And that, uh, in that sense, because you need all those conversations with Palpatine to lead to that decision. Mm. 
there, there's a lot of I, I'm kind of laughing because there's a lot of I can. This is probably the movie I can quote the most of. Like I can quote a lot of the one through six, but like this one in particular, because I think this is the one I think I rewatched the most because there's the most lightsaber fights, and I would just watch lightsaber fights. <laughs> so like like in particular like the Obi Wan Grievous, like the uh, so I'm, I'm looking at. You have some of these iconic quote, the I am the Senate quote, the power quote, as he's, as Palpatine's killing me. Uh, this is the the prequel memes movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely is. Yeah. What's the I, the first one that comes to mind that's not this movie is um the ability to speak does not make you intelligent, which is, of course, from the first one. Yes. That that one, the, well, the most memorable quote in the whole trilogy is, I don't like sand, but right. I think that's the, that's probably the next best, most, the next most usable line for a meme. Uh, yeah, so that was going to take it. But, um, Obi-Wan versus Grievous. Speaking I, of quotable lines. Yes, speaking of quotable lines, probably my most quoted line uh, that I still use all the time when I'm greeting people. Uh, and and every, once, every once in a while, well, uh, not often people get it because I'm not good at doing even triggers. Uh, the, other, the other one, other than hello, different than this. So Grievous says, attack Kenobi. And I was thought, what does he mean by that? Is he, is he telling Obi-Wan to attack him? Is he just telling Obi-Wan that he's going to attack or is he just saying we should attack each other is he ordering the people around him to attack no because he tells them to, to not interfere it, it's, it's basically like his battle cry before the fight starts he is a uh, dramatic fella <laughs> say the least right in, in a series with, over, with overly dramatic villains he is is uh he's near the top have you ever seen um or watched in the like the bonus features for um the movie the, the like the little series or the section where they're showing how they developed like actual character of general grievous and by character i mean like the visual look look of him yes it's been a while but yeah go ahead it's like really, it's really fascinating to watch because you see like how George Lucas kind of figures things out. So originally, you know those like guards of Grievous that have like the like electrical pull type things. Yeah, the the magna guards. Yeah, yeah, like that. Those were like concept artists who was like developing a con like a concept for General Grievous. It might have actually been a different one than the different artist from the one that was like uh, actually made the general grievous like uh, character but that those guards were originally intended to be grievous um, self and i just thought it was like so cool to like watch george lucas go up to this wall of like all of these of different um, concepts for general grievous and those and that character i know this isn't direct uh grievous which we're talking about but those guards those guards in, in particular, um, George Lucas is like going up to the artist. He's like describing 
how those like a little like electrical pole things work like to this artist who just drew them and the artist is like kind of like trying to explain to like George Lucas how these work and like George Lucas just goes no 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 that's not how it works this is how it works and it's just like <laughs> fascinating to like watch him talk to this artist and go who just drew this and probably spent like 10 hours on it no that's that's not how this functions like and also this isn't grievous these are this is his like Know, personal guard it's just i i, didn't, I don't know nice little moment if you go back and watch uh kind of those bonus features i didn't know that but i could totally see george lucas just coming into the room and kind of with his deadpan uh how he explains everything just kind of casually yeah just launching into that explanation <laughs> yeah didn't steven steven spielberg was like a producer on this wasn't he yeah, he he's in. I know he's involved with the franchise when Lucas is involved, but I don't know to what degree. Okay, so you're not saying that Steven Spielberg is a producer on something. It's just you know, I mean that's just a good bet. Law of averages or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, there's a the, especially in the the I remember it's been a while. But the commentary for the movie like, on the Blu-ray is like, or the DVD or whatever, like whichever ver- the whatever version it is you're watching is actually really some really interesting uh, tidbits. You know, and it is interesting, like you know George Lucas his whole character making process. You know how he's thought these characters through much further than what we ever see on screen like he right he's thinking how much how 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 will the selling as a toy sorry <laughs> <laughs> no but like certain uh, things like how we had uh i was reading this in um i just remember reading this as a kid uh that like Revis was on geonosis uh he just never showed up in the thing like george lucas he already had you know when he made attack of the clones he already had this character and so when he comes in and he gives you know the marching orders you know, it's kind of all like, you know, to the concept artist and stuff. You know, he has he's thought this through much more than we'd ever get on screen. Um, and just this whole process on that kind of developing characters more than he needs to, I think that does lend itself to the authenticity. Um, because there is, he's created a more cohesive backstory, even if we're not going to see it. Oh, yeah, it makes the world feel more than fleshed out. Yeah, which one of yeah, that's one of one of Star Wars' strongest points. I do think with Grievous though, he's a little. He doesn't at least in the in the end of the Sith. He doesn't win in any fights. Like he, we, he's he's an example of this is a tell don't show thing. So I don't really mind when I'm watching the movie for what it is, but it is a hear about all these things in the first time you meet him he runs away which i guess is part of his character but, but he runs away because he kind of loses and then he like loses to obi-wan and run tries to run away again and then he, he dies so i i think it would have been cool if they gave him like once like that deleted shot he's seen where he kills her it was actually like a scene where they fight and we see him like beating like two or three jedi that try to rescue the council or the chancellor or something as it is, he comes across as a mini boss, if that. 
when he's supposed to be, I mean, he, he kind of is that in the movie, but like he's supposed to be like right under Tuku or right. It, uh, I don't know if that's quite how the separate structure works, but yeah. Yeah, yeah you, it, even as many expanded sources as you look at, the separatist structure is confusing to say the least because there is a like separatist Senate, but it's not really clear if they can do anything. Um, so yes, good questions. Uh, one of the high points, well, low point, the lowest point of the movie, but like artistically, one of the highest points, I think, is Order 66. Uh, and I think this this is where Hidden Christensen really starts to shine when he's allowed to be Vader. And just, yes. He, he, that he does capture really well. And just how the whole sequence is cut together, the music, uh, the, just the visual of Anakin and the troops marching up to the temple is so epic and menacing. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, there definitely is a there is a turning point. He becomes a different character when he becomes Vader, um, and you see it, you know, as he enters the temple, as he, um, you know, when he ignites the blade, you know, just how he looks down at the younglings. Um, but I think also just something else that I think is very apparent is when he goes back to Padme and he he tries to be Anakin again, but it does seem like he's faking it. You know, he's faking it. It's Anakin trying to shine, you know, he's trying to pretend to be Anakin, but he really has committed to being Vader and, like, you know, Padme can see through it the whole time as much as he's trying to pretend, but I think yes, Hayden Christensen, he really does you know, he shines here to really be able to embody Vader without the armor. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite, and this is a little bit further on, but like one of my favorite shots in all of Star Wars is him. It's after he's killed all the separatist leadership, and it's him, and he's he kind of stares back at the camera, and it's like he's half cloaked, and you see, I think he has like the yellow Sith eye, and it's such a cool image. And that's that is what George Lucas is an expert at that the kind of more sweeping cinematic type of moments. There's something to be said. Um... For the fact that it, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that this this keeps getting revisited in, oh, yes. in multiple properties, and it it always works just because it is so. I mean, it's so devastating on so many levels. It's yeah, and it's it's almost to the point where, like, I mean, they they revisited it so many times. It almost feels like the movie is almost the least impactful of all the times they've gone back to it. Um, and still, the movie is gut wrenching to watch. Um, oh, it's 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 beautiful and like devastating. Like like those shots of Felucia and uh, Plo Koon, Like a lot of those shots are beautiful, but like, those shots are there just so we can watch Jedi die. It's devastating. <laughs> and and to see like how Yoda collapses as he feels it. Um, and, and like in a lot of ways kind of feeling his failure, you know, feeling, you know, the Jedi order that he's led for, you know, probably 700 plus years. Um, 
just collapse around him. Um, and the deaths of all his friends, uh, that was a very powerful moment in there. Yeah. And to John was saying, without getting into the other properties, it's, and to your point, like it, it almost hits harder. And because I'll just say when it's, when it has been used in the other properties, it has almost felt more personal because of how they have written some of those situations. Yeah. Well, I think in this movie, Yoda is probably the most, the best representation of how personal it gets. Cause like you said, he, he trained probably every Jedi in the order at some point, like as a youngling, uh, even if not for long. And this scene is the big, like the, the we, we talked earlier about the movie being justifying people's existence. This scene is like the scene. Yeah, I mean, it does. It's kind of there's really only, well, I guess, yeah. Still, there's two big things that still have to happen, uh, but this is probably the biggest one. Is the ending of the well, biggest one for the galaxy, maybe not for the story. Um, right. To, to end the Jedi Order, but you still have to get Vader in the armor, and you have to get Luke and Leia into existence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I do think the uh, um, I mean, the uh, democracy dies under a plot line is. Uh, let's just say what, what George Lucas is saying about liberty and democracy and governance is uh, appropriate uh, is un- unfortunately appropriate in throughout history uh, and yeah still today yes it's still today <laughs> I was I was sure yeah if I wanted to go there but yeah and still today uh, so do we there's, yeah there's two thing, major things left and we have the Yoda Sidious fight, which this is the, it's really fun to watch, but it is kind of the this was the, when I remember seeing TV watch for this movie before it came out, thinking, oh my gosh Yoda's gonna fight Darth Sidious like, that was like, my, I mean it's not, it's the weaker fight but it's still, like, oh and, although, like, the image of them rising into the Senate chamber is, is like, while they're fighting is a very light, is a very fitting and layered, uh, like Palpatine. Good literally, choice. Yes, Palpatine literally throwing the Senate pods and like the infrastructure of the Senate at Yoda. That's just very fitting. Yeah, I, it's uh, oh, good. I was just gonna point out that um, is speaking of of Palpatine and the Senate. Um, we we should mention the uh. This is how a democracy dies line, <laughs> because I mean, it, I I look at um, you know, Palpatine declaring himself emperor, um, and I'm like, this is the culmination of the the uh, the Republic being the Roman Republic turning into the Roman Empire before before you get to the actual empire and start getting more like um, Nazi and stormtrooper imagery it is just super super roman in its in its um presentation yes yeah especially especially with it being the senate specifically called the senate yes and then declaring himself emperor because of like a, they didn't call it martial law it was ah yeah, there there was another term for it but i mean it's 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 so uh it's so recalling it's it hurts 
Um, what were you saying, Matthew? Oh, I forgot. Um, Yoda said yes, fish. <laughs> oh, I mean, just it does seem like a very, it's a very different. It's very different, you know, from what we're going to get to with Anakin and Obi Wan. It is kind of Anakin and Obi Wan is the fight of brothers, but this is the fight of ideology. Um, you know, this is Jedi versus you know the most powerful Jedi versus the most powerful Sith. Um, and he's able to, you know, you see kind of the failing in Yoda um, that he's not powerful enough to take on. Sidious, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. No, I would he, which also more of a comment that Yoda continuous Yoda who never opts for violence in any other circumstance continue and doesn't try not to use his lightsaber continually opts to continue the dueling part of it even when Palpatine has had enough of that. This <laughs> is an interesting observation. Like they. They seem to be evenly matched. Like he, he at the very least can't, um, he can't overcome him, which is frustrating in and of itself. Should we move on to the main event. I think so. Yeah. Which is this awesome. is this is where the fun begins. Anakin versus this is my favorite fight in any form of media story ever. I think I think this is number one. Uh, Maybe two. It's one or two, depending on the day, probably. But it's everything about it works. I, I think monologuing in the beginning is a little bit much. Um, although the Jimmy Fallon skit for this is hilarious. Oh, is uh, it really? It's perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think monologuing is a little too, a little bit too long. But it's the fight is just awesome and. It gets kind of crap sometimes for being like, oh, it's too over the top, but and too yeah, long. But that's the whole point. Right, exactly. I don't care. It's gotta be over the top. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to see two Jedi at the height of their powers go, like, going at it, and like, I want this big, like, this This is the fight that has been uh, foreshadowed for since 1977. Like, it's, well, kind of, depending on from a point of view. <laughs> um, Anakin has to go over the top and want to <laughs> cut his legs off. Yes. So yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's an awesome sequence, and and all that. This is one of my favorite things behind the scenes, like that they they were adamant about doing all of this themselves, and, like not using. And maybe I don't think they use some double for any of it. I don't think they used any stunt double. I mean, George George Lucas was also very adamant. He didn't even let Ian McDiarmid use a stunt double for that anything. I was, was uh, especially in the Mace fight, probably not a good choice. But that's all. well, it was also not a great choice that they told Ian McDiarmid on the day that they weren't going to use a stunt double. They had a stunt double train it um, with Sam Jackson, and then they came in on the day, and George Lucas changed his mind. He's like, actually, guess what? You're learning this today, and we're filming it. So, which probably didn't help it. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is weird. They, oh, there is the shot of like Palpatine doing that like twist flip in during that fight. So, oh, that's that that's CGI. Yeah, oh. which, uh, yeah. So like, like, I 
he, regardless, he still used like not being pyramid in that shot. Yeah, I mean, like, he did the same thing. There were certain, uh, like, there's definitely certain moments even in this fight that CGI takes over. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's true. Um, but yeah, but watch, but listening to the two of them talk about how much they were rehearsed the fight was is really really cool. Yeah, I think it also just goes to how difficult you know a scene of this magnitude is this is you know months of training and choreography um to pull this off uh so you know just obviously you know just you know credit to the you know the cast the crew the choreographers the stunt people you know everybody who worked to make this because it really does pull off and then you know Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, they come together and they really do, you know, I think Ewan McGregor almost in particular, just the emotional delivery there to see, you know, his brother and in in some ways his son, you know, turn like this, his emotion there, you know, the I failed you um, lines, you know, was it's it's powerful and to see kind of also you know Hayden Christensen's performance it's like he he's trying very hard Vader's trying very hard to not let out the emotion but he is you can see that rage coming through um you know the rage the arrogance you know the lust for power you know the emotional driving uh you know, it just heightens everything. And when, especially when I compare this to the other greatest fight in this, you know, in the franchise, you know, the mall fight in episode one, it is the emotional nature of this fight that definitely puts this one over the top. Yes. Uh, I do think that Hayden doesn't get as much emotionally to work on because he, by this, like, at least in this fight, he's pretty much just anger. <laughs> but like, but like, but he does well enough with that. Like, even kills it with everything that the scene asked him to do emotionally. Yeah, because, you know, Hayden has shot his shot, so to speak. He, he is what he is by this point. Um, and uh, Obi-Wan is the one that has to undergo a change because he's getting new information. I do think the one the one part of the fight that is, like, absolutely ridiculous is when they twirl their lightsabers around for, like, five seconds like that's the <laughs> one part where i'm like okay are we really doing this <laughs> yeah but yeah. it's just fantastic yeah that that one scene it definitely stands out i've seen people like defend it as oh you know well they're trying to you know faint each other and they know each other so well they know not to follow through with any of those strikes it's like yeah no. <laughs> you're you're working for it i could I, I can see the angle but i do think you have to work a little bit too hard to get there, but that's right. It is a rather, it's really kind of the only weak point and kind of a movie that is, I would say somewhat hit or miss on the stunt choreography. Like I've seen some breakdowns of like why certain moments in the Dooku Anakin fight, you know, just from a pure stunt perspective, just don't look right. Um, but in this fight, it really does. That's like the only steaming hiccup in the stunt choreography. Yeah, there's a really it's interesting is it I saw this breakdown that was pretty yeah yeah there's a lot of with this fight in particular is a really good like the painstaking like hour and a half long 
on Theo about the fight. It all did send it to you guys, but it's but it's he he basically goes almost move for move about like but his perspective is how realistic is like what they're doing from like a sword fighting point of view. I think a lot of it's not super, but like it's surprisingly not as bad as like you might think. Being they, like, like it's a it's a trained like sword fighter who's or, or weapons. No, he's not a sword. He's like a weapons historian, and he does a bunch of movies. But he he goes through each move in the duel and kind of explains. Well, hey, this is if you're. This this is the type of de- uh, the type. This is how you would defend this type of strike. Oh, like he like wouldn't spin there, like or like yeah, like that's a really good move. That's like the technical way you would defend against like an overhead strike versus something else. It's a it's like a really technical breakdown, but it's pretty interesting. Be interesting to see. Yeah, I believe. Um... Yeah, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll have to find it. We we do also get the other memeable and the uh the the high ground the I have the high ground uh right lion is yeah. <laughs> the other major one of the yes. sand. I, I I feel maybe hello there. I don't know. I'm sure there's a tier list somewhere. I, you know what? I'm gonna... a tier list. How about how about fifteen tier lists? I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm sure on yeah. I, I should actually look in that before. Meme subreddit and see if that's there exists. But yeah, actually, in this one, probably more than hello there, I see in uh, different memes. Uh, Do we know how much thought went into like picking like the actual, like, you know, uh, like Mustafar, like location, like how much George Lucas actually thought about that? Is like that place significant? for any other reason besides it's like this volcanic planet and it made sense it really was i don't think so okay well well the backstory george lucas said that vader falling in a volcano was always part of his backstory that that's how he ended up in the armor so he needed something for that um i will say the treatment of mustafar since this movie i actually think has been fantastic um particularly with it becoming Vader built his castle on the site where he got chopped up. Um, Speaking of melodramatic villains. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is just kind of a, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it, they've turned Mustafar from, you know, it was just kind of George Lucas needed a volcano and he wanted a cool, you know, it's a pretty cool setting for a fight. Uh, <laughs> But that's uh, yeah, that's a that's about it. There's nothing much more than that. Got it. Anything else on the fight? Oh, well, I think we should we should talk about you know before the fight, the part that you know we forget about. We do get the final scene between Anakin and Padme. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is you know, I mean, it's. It's there. It's, it's not as strong as it could have been. There, go ahead. In that the first draft of the script had uh, Padme pulling a dagger on Anakin. Wait, what? <laughs> really? I, I mean, there is a there's, actually, there's there's a concept art of her 
with like you know holding a dagger behind her like arm um like behind her back to and that was going to be the thing is she was going to realize what he'd become and she was going to try to kill him and that's what was going to get her in the uh, force choke um you know perhaps more justifiably but um yeah i don't really know why maybe it just was like it does seem a little out of character for padme to all of a sudden pull a dagger which is partially what would have made it very powerful was for her to do something so out of character, but also maybe why it wouldn't have worked. Um, yeah. That's, hmm. That's a really interesting. Because it would make the Force choke a lot, like, not a lot, but like, it makes, it makes more sense when she starts choking her uh, I mean, I guess it's because he sees Obi-Wan, but it's still... Yeah, that's really interesting. I would have liked that better because it would have made her seem a little bit less, like... I don't know, just... Helpless, like... I don't know. I, th- I think it would have made her seem like a stronger character. I totally agree. Like, she... You know, and I feel like that's right. the one one issue I ha- like have with her character sometimes. It's just like feel like Anakin's such a strong character and she's just like not again doesn't really matter for the whole of the story not not necessarily but that could have like com- that like one thing could have completely changed like in my mind how one could feel about her character it's like she's yeah, like you know even though it's her kind of like last hurrah it's like taking back her, herself as a character taking back you know, her place in the story, trying to do the right thing. Not like all senators have a spine far from it, but she she's a senator, you know? Maybe maybe that could uh that could inform her her strength in some way. And when you see like there's a lot of dis- deleted scenes of her. Um some seemingly already starting to organize the rebellion with the likes of Mon Mothma, you know, where they're, you know, they're proposing various, you know, de-escalation bills and stuff for the Senate, all of which got completely cut. Um, we don't see any of this. I don't really think we even end up seeing much interaction between her and Bail Organa. Um, but that, that yeah, it was, gonna be, it was like her, Bail Organa, and Mon Mothma all getting together. Um, those. Those scenes have been released. Um, I like one or two of them. That's like, I guess that's the one thing. This, this, this movie generally accomplishes everything it tries to, but some, like, there are parts where it's, there's a little bit too much that, like, like, like I guess maybe mostly just that stuff that, that could be expanded on more. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with Padme's character. It's in a series that, at least at this point, was really, didn't have any women character, women with agency. <laughs> uh, I mean, Padme, she has more agency in episode two, and the whole point of that, her plot is they shuttle her off so they don't like, kill her, try and kill her. And in this movie, she's, well, of course, she's pregnant, so they do that. And, like, that is that is her storyline. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that might have given her more agency if you have some something like that. Yeah, I think that's definitely 
the right word for it too. It would have given her more agency. So it was reaching for. Yeah. I think it would have also emphasized the tragedy of it even more. It feels like, I don't know, like some Greek tragedy. When, you know, pulling a, a knife on someone you love. I don't know. No, which means, and, and as we talked about the whole myth thing, that that would, that would, this. anything else on fights then before we head into the ending and final thoughts? Not I. I don't know. I guess just like at the end of the fight, the you know emotion of Obi Wan seeing you know his brother, his friend burning, um, you know the final, you know the arrogance of you know attacking the high ground there by Anakin, um, kind of seeing yeah. the you know kind of go back to the point I had where you know. Anakin listened to Obi-Wan in the beginning, did what was, you know, the correct thing, the smart thing to do to rescue the Chancellor. Um, here at the end, where Anakin, where Obi-Wan tells him, you know, still trying to play the mentor figure, trying to play the father figure, tells him, don't try it. Even though they've been trying to hack each other to bits, you know, Obi-Wan sees this moment coming and he still can't help himself but to try to protect Anakin and say, don't do this. Don't force my hand. Don't get yourself hurt. And then Anakin ignoring him and, you know, getting yeah, burnt to a crisp board. They've been fighting, but this, that this, this move is going to be a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you and Gregor just playing in that, with that sequence. All right. Uh, so then the, the aftermath where Padme dies of sadness and, um, so uh, I do have to say something about that. I know. Um, I think I know what you're well, I'm just going to say, uh, well, uh, my girlfriend is a cardiac sonographer, and it has come up recently in conversations with her that uh, broken heart syndrome is a real thing. I didn't know that. And uh, it can kill people. So, yeah, uh, I feel... Like, I've been slightly wrong about this one. Maybe it wasn't the great creative choice, but, uh, yes, you can actually die from sadness. Um, and that's a real thing that happens to people. Uh, Which I, I, I did not know that previously. That's a new revelation to me. I stand corrected. Um, (laughs) but it's either way, it is a, uh, I, I don't think that's quite what George Luke, well, well, maybe he was, but. It probably was more. Look, you can't be here past this movie. So uh... he could have also just said that like, she died from the injuries that Anakin caused her, or something. Which is, I guess, technically kind of what happens in a roundabout way. But yeah, I think the. Um, I, I almost feel like maybe you just leave it more ambiguous. Anyway, they, I guess they do kind of leave it ambiguous in that she lost the will to live, but maybe just maybe you just even cut that line out and just let her die. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I think that would, yeah. I like that. Because, yeah, I mean, it's not inconceivable. She's just been force choked by the most powerful force sensitive person in the galaxy. You know. Right, there's things I could have done. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, she it makes sense that she dies, but you do need her to, you know, give birth um yeah it's the 
Yeah, that's one of those timeline things where they need to, they do need to make writing choices to make things fit. Yeah, which ultimately, as far as as far as that goes, that's about as good as you're gonna get. In general, um, it's really it's really good in general. I think. Yeah, and ultimately, because the other the other half of that that I don't think we talk about is that Anakin is you know Vader is absolutely under the impression and pretty much told as much by Palpatine and literally told as much that he has killed his wife. Um, and at that point, to the best of his knowledge, he's killed his child as well um, in his anger. And I think that's really where the power of that scene comes in. Yes, I, I agree. I like the lines from Vader when Palpatine reveals that to him, but I, the scream of a no is it is kind of cringy, but it's fine. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't like it when I like whenever someone screams no. It's like like one hundred percent of the time I don't like it because yeah. that's not what people do. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean he he might have like force choked her, but it's like well, I didn't want it. To, I didn't want it to work. <laughs> Yeah, that is a little bit like you know, like like you like you you're saying you're doing all this because of her. Maybe you should like choke her. <laughs> Which is, but it is the ultimate, you know, the final part of the tragedy of Anakin. You know, he does all of this for her, and he he ends up killing her. Um, which you know, in the long run of things, whether Palpatine planned this out or not, that specific detail it does finally break Anakin and just make him, you know, the perfect slave to Sidious. He has nothing to fight for now except for the Empire. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Something funny, well, visually, I'll just say, the Imperial, Me- this, this shot of the Imperial Medical facility with the rain and the thunderstorm like visually that looks stunning like it's the effects for some of these shots some of them are meh, but like that one hold some of them hold up surprisingly well i mean yeah and the, the juxtaposition of the two of them mm-hmm. you know in, in in like a way you know padme is giving birth and anakin is having a rebirth at the same time uh you know, the juxtaposition, you know, the very dark, you know, dirty, almost seeming imperial medical facility versus this very clean, bright uh, medical facility that Padme's in. Um, that juxtaposition does, it's very powerful, it works very well. Um, yeah, on the note on the Vader reconstruction, I'm like pretty sure that uh, Vader's suit already has the cave on while he's on the operating table. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of a funny detail I noticed. Yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. Anything else about um, the scene or the ending? Or any other thoughts about any, if you want to have any final thoughts about the movie? 
I think the other thing we have here is uh, that, you know, it, it, they, they do kind of, as we said earlier, they do kind of take their places um, for the eventual move into New Hope. Um, but I, other than that, just kind of being a thing that they needed to do, I don't really have any uh, commentary on it. The one thing I do have on that is I saw, I, I forget where I saw this initially, but it's, 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 it's I think it's a meme, it's Bale saying, oh, my, my wife and I will take a girl. We've always wanted to thought of, talked of adopting a baby girl. She will be loved with us. And then, uh, it's like, it's, it's a kind of over one. And I'll take the boy to his dad and uncle. He will be tolerated. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. Gotta bite, gotta bite my tongue on that one. Um, I know, I know, I know. I, I don't agree. I don't agree with it, but it, it, it was just kind of just kind of funny. <laughs> the lore has expanded. Yes, um, I, I don't agree with it, but it's, it's kind of funny in the moment. But it is a good way, you know. The ending there, I think, kind of just seeing seeing the two of them off, you know, Leia on Alderaan, Luke on Tatooine. I think. In the midst of you know what's been kind of a very brutal movie overall, um, you know we've seen the slaughter of Jedi, you know murder of children, you know war, blood, destruction. To still find a way to leave on a very hopeful note, um, because we you know we know what comes next. We know there is hope down the line. Uh, to kind of be able to cap it all off in that way, you don't. You know, you don't walk out of this movie thinking, oh, well, geez. You know, you're thinking about the hope that's coming, not all the brutality you just saw. Yeah, you definitely get a sense of closure. And, well, yeah, a sense of closure and a sense of things that things might work out. Things are going to work out. Yeah, especially with that, especially with the last shot of, of uh, Owen and Brew with Luke and the binary sunsets. Uh, also, with the you were the chosen one, the idea that he failed being the chosen one, but that's has good, he? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess they obviously don't. Well, there isn't anyone. They don't really touch on that directly after an aftermath. Yeah, I, I guess I guess they don't touch on it because it didn't really come up until the Phantom Menace. Yeah. It, um. it's, it is a yeah. The whole prophecy storyline is kind of it. It's kind of weird because it it's weird because it's presented, but the, nothing in the plot ever really revolves around it. Compared, especially compared to other stories that have prophecies. But I think in this case is a is a kind of a good thing. But, but it is a very from a certain point of view. Well, yeah, especially the resolution. The, I mean, yeah, the re- not just yeah, the resolution. Just I feel like everything about the prophecy is, from a certain point of view, it gets resolved, and it's it, it kind of only serves as a function of this is why we would break our rules to even let Anakin in. But no, that's I, a good point. You can call that self fulfilling. <laughs> 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 Alright, um, yeah, so this has been uh, our episode 
discussing episode well any final thoughts it goes first so i guess those are kind of final thoughts okay so uh then i guess this this has been our episode on star wars episode three revenge of the sith uh so that concludes uh the original uh the original saga uh and we will be continuing uh, at some point uh, we were we're continuing release order, so we'll be doing uh, Force Awakens next at some point. Uh, but until then, uh, uh, we have we are your hosts, Johnny, John, Matthew, Adam, and thank you for listening.